everyone. Welcome to episode four of the Thirst for Knowledge podcast. It's me, your host, Lawrence Harmon, with my co-host, Stephen Hendrickson. How are you doing, Steve? Good. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. It uh, seems like we have a lot to talk about this week. Uh, Happy birthday <laughs> in more ways than one. Um. Yeah, yeah. Today is my birthday. Uh, and yesterday, Stone Forge was unbanned, which I'm sure our listeners will be surprised to hear. I don't really care that much. Um, or I, like, I am, a, in terms of people you'd expect to want Stoneforge in Modern, I'm probably at the top of your list. And I actively just, like, had no interest in having Stoneforge in Modern. But here we are. So I guess we'll just dive right into it. The ban list update happened yesterday on August 26th. And we had the expected ban of Hogak, the Arisen Necropolis. We also had. Yay! Yeah, I mean, there were. That card was pretty good. Uh, the understatement of the century, right? And we started seeing people do meme stuff with their deck list. Uh, our friend Clifford, Cliffy, Michael Clifford, 5 0 to League with like an Aether Vial, a Dross Messenger, uh, one Burning Inquiry. Like, uh, I guess. Everyone got to the point where there were nine flex spots in Hogak, and people realized that uh, you just—it didn't matter. You could just play whatever, right? Wait, 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 wait! But we didn't get, unfortunately, because of this, you know, this early banning, we didn't get the Atogs in the flex slots. That's when you know. Carrion feeder is basically an Atog, right? Yeah, but I think at one point, like Charbelcher was playing like different Atogs. And their sideboard because they actually never boarded at one point. So I, I, I think it would have been kind of funny if Hogak would have got to that point where you just play like Atogs or random cards because it didn't matter. I mean, Cliffy's list was kind of just random cards, right? Um, hold on. He, I know he had a Aether Violin and Brawl's Messenger in the main. Um, he also had a Tybalt in the sideboard. Which Tibble? The two-drop Tibble. Was it Sulfuric Vortex? Oh, it was really bad Tibble. Well, he makes you discard. He's great. Kind of. Yeah, I mean, he also had one Karn and one Microsoft He just had, like, a bunch of random one-ups that had no synergy with the rest of the deck. It was pretty ridiculous. That's a two-card Monty. It's great. Yeah. He, like, they'll, they'll, they're never ready for he it. He had one Manamorphose, one Dross Messenger, one Burning Inquiry, one Aether Vial, one... What is this? Allosaurus Rider, one Rot Pack, or Rot Widow Pack, one Hollow One, one Phyrexian Obliterator, which he did get to Violin, and his sideboard had one Leyline of Anticipation, one Karn, one Microsoft and one Grab Digger's Cage! <laughs> hey, they will never anticipate the Grab Digger's Cage. They won't even play around them. <laughs> okay, so the one Grab Digger's Cage. One Tibble. Especially Leyline, like with a Leyline of Anticipation in play, and you flash in the Grafdigger's Cage? Oh my goodness. He needs one Simeon Spirit Guide to be able to do that on the draw, but uh, he has one Diagraph Colossus and one Bitter Ordeal, and he 5 0 that lead. So, yeah. Uh, he also had a Gemstone Caverns in his deck, which I'm surprised actual lists weren't playing, but I guess they're kind of mana hungry otherwise. Whatever. Deck is dead. Rest in peace. Uh, who cares? Well, not only Hogak, not only Hogak, Gak took someone else. Who? 
Faithless looting. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ding dong. Ding dong, you're gone. I'm so happy. The card has been egregious and has caused many bans to happen in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, Faithless looting, it was fine when the most scary thing you could do was like Faithless looting discard lingering souls. But when it became Faithless looting, yeet on your soul, then it's pretty egregious. But Let's just skip to the part that people want, Steve. Oh, Rampaging Ferocidon is unbanned and standard. That's what the people wanted. I, I I, don't think that was it. I think there was something else that happened. Are we tutoring? With a, with a squire? We're tutoring. We're, we're search, we are searching our library. We're getting equipment. We're putting it into play. Someone called BBD. He's been dialed up to modern? BBD? You mean Shaheen Sarani? No, no. So Shaheen's been calling for BBD to be unbanded and modern, but BBD is Stoneforge makes the squire, sir. He's riding that batter skull. Do you not remember the token? Yeah, he did make the token. He also did like religiously play Stoneforge Mystic in the side sideboard of his miracles list. So he won a legacy GP with uh Stoneblade, uh New Jersey 2014. Oh my god, I remember that. I do remember that. Yeah, so Stoneforge Mystic in, in modern. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see where the format will go from there. Uh, I expect uh, some interesting changes, and we'll see, you know, like right now, everybody's playing Stoneforge, right? And that's what happened with Bloodbraid and Jake. And then as people played more, things kind of trickled out, right? Like um, the first week of Bloodbraid, Jason Band, you had people playing like rug piles with Ancestral and Bloodbraid and Jason. They were terrible. And right now you have everybody playing Stoneforge Mystic, whatever deck that can have a basic planes in it, right? Are you telling me the red green Ponza deck with Bloodbraid Elf was bad? What? <laughs> oh, you know, yeah, that was one of the like the premier decks people were trying in the beginning was like red green Ponza. Oh, sure, sure, sure. That deck popped up. It was no, that deck was fine. It was like good against all the the Jace decks. Because like the red green Ponza just had a like really obnoxiously good matchup against uh shells because they had to have a draw that was mono counter spells starting at turn two until like turn like six or so and the deck had tireless tracker and blood raid and random two for ones. It just had enough like not forceful checks, but like mana like checks, I guess, uh to really plow through what was going on. Are you saying we're going to see Stoneforge Mystic? Because it's a bunch of two for ones. That is the deepest thing you've ever said. You said a that's uh no, no, but <laughs> what? so did did any other formats get talked about? I know my uh beloved legacy was left alone. What about uh what about the oldest format? Old school? Yeah, uh Brian Weissman. You I'm sure you guys chatted while you know, building the deck, right? <laughs> Do you know Brian? I feel like you know. No, I don't know him. Um, he plays other places, like basically where I played versus him. But I always studied and loved the deck, so he was a he was a hero. But this is the year of uh, heroes falling. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, for those who don't know, Brian played the old school event at GP uh, Las Vegas. And he won it, but for whatever reason, he the deck that was 
that a pitcher was taking up a post on Twitter was different from the deck that he played against Rolex. And she took a picture because she was so excited to play against him. And he had two circle of protection reds. And in his deck list photo, he only had one. Everyone's like, hey, you're cheating. And his event, his, event, his um, retort was, well, it's not illegal to have them take a picture of a different deck. And I wanted to hide my sweet, sweet old school tech. So, you know, uh, you got you to gotta fend off those filthy, you know, magazine deckers well, who steal all your tech from Inquest magazine, you know, or the Duelist, because those are sources that are still in print. The, co- the common practice of old school tournaments is to take a photo of your deck to be your deck submission. And it's kind of like, it's not just you showing what's in your deck, but what your deck looks like. Because, like, there's a lot of pride in those old arts and the original arts and everything else. So, like, a lot of people probably didn't understand that, that that's like, it's not a contract, but it kind of is like a gentleman's agreement, you know, our ladies' agreement, that you're playing these cards. This is the deck that you've built, that you're proud of, that you love, and this is, these are the cards you're going to be playing. And he tried to back out on it that he wasn't contract pending. No one, no no sealed signed affidavit that those is actually the cards he was choosing to play. And he was basically gaming people with playing other cards. I mean, trying to hide, trying to hide tech in a format where like the majority of the Magic community wasn't even a feed it is like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You know, like the card full for old school is known. Hiding your second copy of Circle of Protection is just completely idiotic. And oh, on top of, yeah. he's been playing the deck for 25 years, okay? But, like, come on. For real, it's the deck. You made it. It was your deck. People know you're going to play it. You, you want to you game them? Steve, play Mono Red. Steve, you never know. He may pull out some Alpha Comet or something. I don't know anymore, dude. Yeah, that, it was pretty bad. But what I was speaking about changes... Besides uh, the old school nonsense, with more of the vintage fandom restricted list. <laughs> yeah, vintage. Um, there were a lot of a lot of restrictions. Uh, Karn the Great Creator, Mystic Forge, Mental Misstep, and Golgari Grave Troll, and then Fast Bomb was unrestricted. Um, with regards to the first four, these were cards that, or well, Karn and Mystic Forge were cards that the vintage community was pretty not happy about because they were just too powerful. Having a one-sided Null Rod is absurd in the Mox format. Mystic Forage is an absurd card in shops. And Mental Mist stuff has been a debated card. Uh, a lot of players have felt like it's made Vintage worse. Some players have felt like it's kept Vintage in check, right? Like the Ancestrals, it's kept like the ancestral draws in check, but it punishes the one land preordained draws. And Richie was streaming and he was playing against elves. And he said, Trollkarn and Forge made decks too good. Misstep made decks not exist. And uh, this was when he was playing against elves on stream. And, you know, it should be interesting to see where it goes from here. I also hope that Dark Ritual thought sees uh, variants of Stormless completely unchecked. Like, Thoughtseize has been an unplayable card because of Mental Misstep. Yeah, I'm, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in Dark Earth Storm. Without Misstep in place, I feel like uh, the deck is really just going to really be good. 
there isn't really much else to say about it. I kind of just want to see how it pans out. I may get into vintage again. You know, a couple of years back, I was grinding a lot of land still, which isn't a playable deck anymore. Uh, partially because of Mystic Man. That deck just isn't playable. Um, but we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens there. Well, yeah. It also opens up the avenue to make shops not as good because the, the Blue Mages will actually have room in their decks for cards that interact with shops as opposed to what they've been doing. They've been having their inbred cards for each other. So, like, it's kind of interesting to, to me the the ban of Mental Misstep was, or the restriction, was, I think, something that should have happened a long time ago. But it's been, you know, debated that it's holding the recalls and checks so i i personally like it um and i like the idea of thought seas being playable yeah i honestly just don't play enough vintage to really have too much of an opinion or care one way or the other so i'm curious to see what ends up happening also grave troll grave troll getting restricted because pitch dredge was pitch dredge was a ridiculous deck yeah the dredge deck was playing more free interaction than the blue decks which is pretty nuts they were playing four misstep, they were playing force of vigors, they were playing force of will, sometimes some number of force negation, and uh, what is the card? Unmask? Yep, oh, unmask, and then they also still had um, follow one. Like, they basically had, like, a suite of 15 cards that they didn't have to spend any mana on that that, bag, that Bizarre would get them, you know, these cards reliably. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one streamer like they got pivot needled and leylined on turn one, and they before they untapped, they force a vigor and took both things out in one. And I was just like, I bet that guy probably thought I have an incredible hand, and he died. So boop. Yep. Uh, and fast bond, fast bonds on restriction. I mean, there's a list of cards in legacy and and vintage that are currently restricted or banned that are just holdovers from formats prior, and I think that. I love the idea. Give us some cards. Give us some cards back from the old days. Yeah. Um, the card pool's obviously gotten more powerful. It's going to be interesting to see what people do. I know a few people are going to be playing lands. Uh, I, you know, Harrison tagged me on a list and uh, maybe interesting to see what happens. There may be some corner breed slash um, what's the card? Experimental Frenzy is what I've heard a lot of. Well, he had Frenzy in his original list, but I figured Horn of Greed may be better because, like, if you're playing Fast Bond, Horn of Greed is a faster combo and cheaper to cast, especially through, like, Sphere Resistance effects. It is weak to Artifact Hate, but... I, I, I'm just glad they unrest- you know, unrestricted some of these cards. I would love to see a restriction of some of the lands, but I know nobody's going to ever get rid of Bizarre or Workshop, so we're going to have to keep hemorrhaging these other cards, so... Yeah, for sure. It's it's that's just vintage, right? The format where you know every other format they ban the uh, enabler instead of the payoff, and the vintage they repeatedly just restrict the payoff effects and pretend like the enablers aren't a problem because they're like three thousand dollars each. I mean, you know, Wizards is going to keep printing like three mana plus artifacts that are broken, and Workshops gets five Lotuses to play, so. You know, they're going to keep playing them. Like, this Mystic Forge was just another, you know, sign. They don't have to print three mana artifacts that are broken. They can just print three and four mana artifacts that are reasonable. And it turns out those are broken when you play them on turn one. Right. I mean, you know, Future Sight for artifacts that you can, 
make your deck. You can change the top card. It's just it was insane to me. Like I, I I didn't think Mystic Forge would last that long. Really surprised that it was like what a month. I think M twenty came out. So, I mean, it was probably yeah. I still think it's good that they nipped that in the bud because Mystic Forge was way too good. Chops was obviously the best deck, and you know it's just not. It's not worth just putting people through that misery. Like Vintage on Moto is kind of unplayable when your format diehards are just not interested in touching it. Then it's time to do something. So what about this Mystic? This this, this Stone Forged Mystic. What what do you think what's going to happen with Modern with this unbanning? Are we talking like it's it's uh, so powerful, Golgari Grave Troll that they're going to have to reban it? Or is it going to be more like Jace the Mind Sculptor? Who cares? We'll see. Um, with Jace and likewise Blood Braid, it can, it could, those could only go in very narrow shells, whereas Stoneforge is very easily splashable and it's fairly non-committal. And that's been one worry that a lot of people have had, right? Like, every deck could either splash white or if you're a white deck, it's very easy to just throw a Stoneforge packet in. And, uh, and I think Right now, people are in the deck building process of just jamming Stoneforge into white decks and not really supporting it as well. Um, so, are you worried about are you worried about Merfolk, Wandervine Hub, Stoneforge Mystic coming for you? Not really at all, right? It's, they they just like can't consistently get a white source enough. They have to play fetches and whatever. But is that the metric? No. Is that the metric? It's if they start playing it, that Stoneforge is a problem. It's more the like issue that. The level one thinking is if you're playing white, why are you not playing Stoneforge? And the format devolves into Stoneblade mirrors or whatever. But the question is, is that really a bad thing at that at this point? Everyone longs for the period of modern where it's Jun versus Twin versus Pod versus Scapeshift versus, you know, basically every deck was secretly mid-ranger, some sort of like tempo esque fair deck. And if everyone is just forcing storm stoneforge piles isn't that kind of what everyone wants just to play these mid-rangey games yes i mean there was a period in 2013-ish where like every fair deck in legacy in legacy in modern had a batter skull or two in the sideboard right yes jun twin like everything just had batter skull and the post-war games would often just revolve around these batter skull mirrors where you just have like jun mirrors where somebody was born an ancient bridge I secretly think that, like, so a lot of people are, like, upset because they're, like, they're worried about this holding back aggro. And I'm, I would be thrilled if there was a modern format where on turn five I wasn't dead, you know, for two turns. Like, where I'm actually, like, gaming, like, we're actually, like, developing board states and trying to see how we can get around each other's things. And, you know, how can we snowball and get above this? You know, I, I love the idea of that. I don't know if Stoneforge will do that because I'm more worried about Stoneforge in the combo decks. But I think people are way like they're overestimating how good Stoneforge is against combo decks or not combo decks, the aggro decks, because modern is hell for creatures. Every deck has four to eight removal spells, whereas, you know, people are using legacy as a metric where decks have four ish, four ish. You look at your fifth removal spell and you're like, do I need this? Eh, maybe maybe not right right modern people are setting a baseline at like six plus spells that can kill a stoneforge 
I want to give credit to Wizards because I think Burn is, you know, without Stoneforge Mystic coming into the format, Burn was hands down going to be one of the best decks because it's secretly received more cards than any other deck because of all the new Lightning Bolts and the Horizon Canopy Lands. But it's never got to shine because it couldn't get past a 8-8 Trampler. Yeah, I mean, Burn is really good. Um I think the major difference is I don't I I honestly don't think Burned is going to even board in Smash the Smithereens against like the low creature count blue white shells that people are playing. Maybe against the green based Stoneforge deck. But against the like lower creature count blue white shells, you should keep in your searing blaze effects, right? Before you would cut them, now you keep them. They can just play a braid. Well, why? You can just steering blaze the Stoneforge and Batter Skull isn't coming down for infinite turns. Right. I mean, yeah, no, I'm just saying, like, if they really wanted the artifact destruction slot, they probably just play a braid. Like, it's free at this point. Like, that's sure. I think that's the difference between Mystic in the past and Mystic in the now. Is there's cards like a braid, Pulligan's Command, there's just all these cards. Collective brutality. These are just cards that just cleanly answer Stoneforge Mystic. Yeah, they're significantly better answers. Um, so, in terms of the Stoneforge decks, historically we've seen kind of a Stoneforge leveling metagame, right? When Stoneforge is fairly dominant. And I'm not saying Stoneforge will be dominant, and what defines a metagame is often a mix of either empirical data or just hard for public opinion, right? Um, but say Stoneforge becomes as ubiquitous as we think it will be. Do you think we'll see the leveling game of like the white-based Stoneforge deck going from mono-white to green-white to maybe um, Abzan or Mardu? The four-color. Do you remember the four-color legacy decks? The four-color yes. Armagoyf, Deathrite Shaman, Stoneforge Mystic, and... Did Deathblade play Goyf? I don't remember. Yeah. I remember it playing, um, like... Todd Anderson. Oh, Todd Anderson played it, sure. So, uh, but I think, he top, I think he top eight it with it. Because he had him in the sideboard, and they were so good. Because people weren't ready for him. Yeah, and likewise, the blue-white list would go from, like, blue-white to blue-white-black to um, blue-white-black-red was Deathblade, I believe. Or, no, it was green. They would play Abrupt Decay. It was yeah. It was abrupt decay. It was the green death the the four color death blade. Glory red death blade didn't really become popular until after the Delver shells popped up and uh, after like the death rage. Well, no, it was still during the death rage on period, but it was mostly the Delver shells and I think a lot of people went towards the black green side of things to level the Stoneforge bear. But uh, luckily, I don't think modern can really support that sort of mana base. Maybe there is a blue, white, green, red stone blade list with Ren and Six, and you just play a bunch of obnoxious two drops and go from there. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know if we have to worry about that. Um, I, I, I really think that there's going to be these combo decks jamming it, and that'll be the, like, is the Devoted Druid deck because it's a collected company deck, right? And they could jam it. Yeah, obviously the company shells can just pretty easily slide Stoneforge in uh, for pretty low cost. And it's a nice additional two for one. Um, I think there are other shells that could also run it in green. Uh, but starting with the blue shells, 
our friend Rugved um, played a Esper Mentor variant, and I actually like this list a lot. He has three Mistral's Bobbles, and you know we'll just shout him out. He's on Twitter at Bed Carhade. Uh, that's V E D K A H or K A R H A D E. There we go. <clears throat> and his list is pretty much just the pre-Stone Forge Esper Mentor pile that people were playing. But I think Stone Forge fills a pretty big gap in this deck. Uh, when I tried it initially, my issue was that if you didn't have Monastery Mentor, your deck didn't do anything, and you had to find Monastery Mentor within a certain window so that you actually had enough, just enough stuff to cast to trigger it. And the games where you couldn't find your Mentor in time, you would just Inquisition or Thought Season and snap Thought Season just attack with a Snapcaster and hope they didn't draw anything. You were just a, a mid-range deck with not enough of a complete plan to really grind your opponent down. And I think right. this list uh, is potentially powerful. Um, it's for Stone Forge, for Monastery Mentor, two Lingering Souls. And I think that's definitely a good base. He also has two J-Spins, Prodigy, and four Snapcaster. And I, I like this because there's enough bodies uh, to carry your equipment. He has one batter skull, one sort of piece of damage. There's an argument maybe he wants more swords, but I think one of the deck building traps a lot of people are going to fall into is they're going to play like these blue-white shelves that their creature base is only going to be Stoneforge and Snapcaster Mage, right? And that isn't good enough in the slightest bit, I, I don't think. Um, what ends up happening is you play Stoneforge, you tutor up your equipment, it dies. You have to get your Snapcaster into play and somehow get Snapcaster into play, suit up your equipment and attack and hope that you get through. It's it's usually not a realistic plan. Your creature base is pretty frail. So you need either overwhelmingly powerful creatures or overwhelmingly powerful disruption, or you need a glut of creatures to carry your equipment so that you can keep switching them around. So in the past, we've seen Squadron Hawk, or in this case, we have Lingering Souls and Monastery Mentor Tokens. So I, I really like what Ved's doing. And uh, he has his list on Twitter for anyone who's interested in checking it out. I actually love everything about this. You know, I look at this and I see, I see Unearth. I'm in love. You just you play on Earth in a deck. I'm I'm already interested, but then it's got like the baby Jaces. So none of the like bigger Jaces, right? So we just we're talking about like little Jays who can flash back in ops here and visions, unearth thought sees whatever to uh, achieve what you need to get done. And and really like the play pattern of like baby Jace, if it lives, loot mentor cast on Earth, bring it back, cast two spells. You know, and that's a turn three play. And with the for with the format being a little slower, I I love the idea of this deck. Yeah, for sure. And interestingly enough, his sideboard only has one Stony Silence. I get that it's an ombo with Stoneforge Mystic, but I actually think you may want more. Uh, well, also the bobbles. Well, also the bobbles, sure. Um, yeah, I I don't know if he could play them. Well, in the group chat, he mentioned that he uh, was losing to Urza, and you know his sideboard really isn't 
equip 40 is like one spell pierce, one ceremonious rejection, one stoning. And then his sideboard is like Teferi and Collective Brutality, which I guess is Burn. That card's pretty medium. Maybe that card can be something else. Would Karn be too slow? Yeah, definitely. Um, I I think the Urza deck is just a little more powerful in terms of playing through Karn if you don't play it ahead of schedule right or have the ability to do so on some subset of turns and this deck is really in on like turn four Karn and you aren't really stopping them from playing their turn four Urza or like activating their own Stoneforge. So I think Stony Silence being a cheaper effect is probably a bit more relevant. I, I just literally had this disgusting idea of like playing Karn in your main deck to have the other swords that you need at, as a wish. And I was just like, that's kind of funny to me. Like that's a, that will be a new deck building thing because they don't have Jetty. They could actually wish for a sword of your deck. That could be interesting. I could see your deck, uh, like Karn Tutor Engine, being cool. Um, my only worry is that Karn is super mana intensive, and when you can't play that card ahead of schedule, it's not necessarily better than uh, Mastermind's Inquisition, the Diabolic Tutor that can get cards from your sideboard. Oh, I, no, I definitely agree. But I mean, this this deck's looking at playing a three mana Mystic or a three mana Mentor. So, like, that's what I was thinking. Like, you know. If the slow, if the format's slow enough to consider that, I guess you do have a couple ways to cheat them. But without thought scours or anything like that, you're really not going to be able to cheat the mentors in, you know, except for the miss the prodigies. Yeah, I think realistically, Ben's list was just something you quickly threw together and probably need some tuning. Um, love the idea. I love it. I, I I'm honestly right. say, like, I like all of it. I like the discard packages, and you know, that's why I was just thinking like maybe Karn is what. I think you'd want Karn above a Stony Silence, but I know what you're talking about with the stone, where the Urza dress, decks fast. I think the mana efficiency matters more than the ability to tutor up random sideboard things, and I don't even think you can afford to put various swords in your sideboard. Um, he also has zero disenchant effects, right? Yeah, like I said, the list looks mostly tossed together. I could definitely see a disenchant. Uh, I know he went to three Thoughtseize, three Inquisitions, but. Uh, I think his list is probably a good base to start tinkering with, right? Yep. And then I, did you watch, did you see uh, for the next list, did you watch Canister play this? I didn't watch Canister play this. Uh, I did watch Jarvis and Caleb D play Urza list with four Stoneforge, and I wasn't super impressed with Stoneforge by itself. Uh, one thing I noticed was the Urza deck, its uses of mana is very awkward uh, in terms of the first few turns you don't really do anything impactful with your mana and then as you start hitting the later turns your mana starts counting more and what I mean is like the first turn you'll play an astrolite, the second turn you'll play just like a Doctor Foundry or a Sword of the Meek right? And then as you hit the late game you start hitting War of Invention and Urza, which are effects that capitalize on the mana that you spent in the earlier turns just playing these mopey artifacts. And Stoneforge doesn't really play into that necessarily as well. It's a very clunky card. You know, two mana to cast it, two mana to activate it. That's a whole turn, two turns of, uh, usually two turns spent, honestly. And then the Batter Skull is maybe a 
good. It's maybe good uh, in this deck he can tutor Picker Wellspring. But I find it interesting that he cut all the Goblin Engineers. I imagine that was a matter of making the mana in the deck better. But I like Goblin Engineer because you play it, you get to put your four whatever CMC thing in the graveyard or put something in the yard and buy it back. And in an essence, you're still able to get some sort of mana cheating effect. But you also have like a must kill thing and you can tutor up combo pieces, which I think is a bit better. I like the fact that Stoneforge does let you cheat on playing copies of Sword of the Meek, and Goblin does as well, and I think the cards work well in conjunction, right? Uh, I looked at Canister's list and I thought, maybe this deck wants an Academy Ruins over the second Batter Skull. Uh, and with Goblin Engineer, you don't need an Academy Ruins. So I think the major difference is playing just the Mystics lets you clean your mana up completely, where the Engineer, you're splashing for red for just you know, Goblin Engineer in the main and a couple sideboard cards. So, like, you're able to play a straight blue-white game. Well, blue-white-black instead of being four colors. So I, I think that was, like, the biggest draw for the Mystic deck. But the 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 problem I saw watching on stream this morning and was basically what you were talking about, the mana. Like, you're, you, you have to basically spend four mana on Stoneforge Mystic. Yeah, you don't explode. Uh, he cut Mindstone from the deck, which was one of the better cards, I think, uh, because it lets you cast Urza on turn three. I think what this deck wants to do is potentially maximize being able to cast Urza on turn three or have effects that you can cast on turn three or four that get to, in essence, utilize mana on the previous turns. Um, you also lose the bridge plan. Yeah, I don't think cutting bridge is necessarily correct. Canister's has obviously played more of this deck than I have, but. I feel like Bridge is really powerful. And another issue I had with these decks was that their card filtering was pretty mediocre. It's a lot of awkward cantripping. And I kind of wonder if um, these decks want to play some number of Thirst for Knowledge, to be honest, right? Like, Thirst for Knowledge pairs well with Stoneforge when you tutor up Sword of the Meek. Because you, like, Sword of the Meek, or Stoneforge, get your Sword of the Meek, and then you Thirst and discard it. Because you don't what actually. Card? Th thirst for Knowledge? What, what, what card? Oh, wait, shout out to the Thirst for Knowledge podcast? Yeah, that's that, <laughs> us. Huh. <laughs> but, um, I see this. I see this. I like it. Go ahead. No, but yeah, like you Stoneforge, you get your Sword of the Meek. You don't actually want to cast that card. And the times I played the Earth deck, I just wanted to discard out for it. And Thirst for Knowledge gives you some semblance of card advantage. It smooths your draws, which is sometimes an issue for this deck. And it can actually work reasonably well with bridge in terms of you know you draw two cards you discard two it it doesn't always have to be a card advantage effect so you can at least filter through your your deck and get some cards out of your hand maybe find some cheaper effects to cast and pair with bridge so that may be something to look into i personally am very curious to see how these uh or is the shells work out i think the engineers are far better because you're happy under a bridge. If you, the game goes on, you'll win. The the unlim the infinite combo, draw a card, attack you for infinite, you're dead, is, is good enough. So like hiding behind your fort is great. And I think the mystics with the batter skull are a better sideboard plan. 
than a main deck. Potentially. I think in some shells, like maybe the blue-white control decks, it could be a better plan. I think um, in this deck... Well, I was talking about the Urza Troll. Well, I think, I think in this deck, you actually maybe want some split of Goblin Engineer and Stoneforge. Maybe like two Engineer... Or not two, two Stoneforge, one Batter's Gold, and maybe three-ish Engineer. And then the Stoneforge let you cheat on copies of Sword of the Meek and you can go from there. So I think there's a lot of room to explore, but I don't think four Stoneforge is correct. And I saw some streams and some opinions of people who were grinding it out yesterday that reflected the same idea of just quad Stoneforge may not be the way to go. They just don't, they just don't have the mana. Like, that's the biggest problem. Like, if you play it on turn two, it's just, this deck needs mana. Like, every one of these cards is expensive. And you basically taking two turns off of mana, especially if they have the answers to the batter skull, right? Like if they kill the batter skull with like a K command or anything, and you you just die. You spent all this mana and you're so behind so far tempo. So I just don't know if it's a if it's a thing you can do. Yeah, and that's one of the downsides of um, Stoneforge, right? It's it really takes up a couple turns and it takes up a lot of mana per se. And if your Stoneforge dies, you can just awkwardly get tempoed. Or if your batter skull gets killed, you get tempoed. And yeah, you're time walked. You're definitely time walked, I think. And I think that a lot of players are leaning in on these batter skulls and they're going to get destroyed by ancient brushes and disenchants. And that's why I like the goblin engineer. You know, you can tutor up your batter skull with Stoneforge, put it in play, not care if it dies. Then you go Goblin Engineer. Like Goblin Engineer provides a great draw engine with Icar Wellspring and Astrolabe. And having extra creatures that your opponent is going to overreact to and kill on site uh, will be great. And I don't know. I think these decks have a lot of room. Um, they probably want some number of Psy, maybe Monastery Mentors. Canister has Mentor on the sideboard. He also has Dead of Winter and timely and a few other things and i'm curious to see where these pan out and i think the urz i think urz is a very good payoff card to play towards and i would like to see these builds head towards a position where they play a fair game without urza and then when you play urza your opponent just dies in a in a splinter twin-esque way right yeah i think i think the problem is is that the mystic doesn't actually fulfill that portion of what the what the Urzatron what the Urza deck is doing. The Urza is a, a splinter twin deck. And the Stoneforge Mystic is like pulling it towards um a, a mid-range deck. So like I do like the idea of like, you know, like you said, splitting them up some. But like honestly, like if I if someone puts a Stoneforge Mystic in play, or if someone puts in a goblin engineer in play, I'm probably more scared of the goblin engineer than the mystic. Yeah, for sure. Um like the Goblin Engineer just straight up goes and puts your Sword of the Meek in the graveyard and calls it a day. One thing that's nice is that Stoneforge is better against Leyline of the Void, but I'm not sure how many of these we're going to be seeing in the current modern metagame. We'll see how that pans out. Did they ban graveyard cards? Uh, I mean, they banned Hogak and Faithless Looting, but... Yes! You know. <laughs> no more Phoenixes. I mean, just kidding. Yeah, I mean, the Phoenix sect definitely died and the mono red phoenix deck i think was better without phoenix in it the deck didn't have a lot of cards that replaced itself so you would draw your phoenix on turn 
five and you would look at your hand count of like two cards and you're just like, oh, okay. This is why people play. I, I liked it better when people called it what it really was. was It was a prowess deck, right? It's a mono red prowess. Well, it's there were two builds. There was one that played um, Bedlam Revler. Right. But like, I liked that like direction. It was basically like, they were both prowess builds, but like one of them said like, I don't need these phoenixes. All these other ones were like holding on to their birds. So, you know, I, I like I like the idea of just you know diverting it completely away and just being yeah like, for sure. But I mean, we'll see what happens. Uh, what about these flash decks? Have you seen anything about these new flash decks? Yeah, I mentioned before that I think people will fall into the uh, deck building trap of just taking their blue white control deck, jamming force and forging, and thinking that's going to do anything. When in reality, your opponent's just going to have removal because it's modern. And both John Rossum and Tom White, Tom White is McWinsauce on Twitter and Moto. He's a pretty well-known Moto grinder, and he consistently does well with blue-white strategies. And they both tweeted out deck lists that were blue-white X-Flash. Rossum had lightning bolts in a braids in his deck list, whereas John had a deck list that was very heavily based on uh, the 2012 world deck that Finkel and Brian Kibler played, which was like Kitchen Fink's Vendelian click list. And I think that's the way to go if you're playing a Stoneblade list. Um, this looks like a legacy Stoneblade deck had a baby with a modern control deck. The new, the, That's what it looks like. It looks like the Restoration Baneslayer deck and the Legacy Stoneblade deck had a baby. Yeah, for sure. Um, one thing that people don't take into account is that your Stoneforge isn't going to live, and you need extra bodies to carry these swords. Like, these swords aren't free. Batterskull, in theory, is free because it creates its own body, but the swords aren't, and you need extra things to, to do so. So, if you're going to play these blue-white X Stoneblade lists, I highly recommend playing some number of Vendillion Clicker. Tom has Dicing Trapped as well, and Restoration Angel, which I think if you're not playing Restoration Angel in these shells, you're probably doing something criminal. You need hard-to-kill evasive bodies uh, to really push through the sword effects. Uh, Rossum has Spellcaller, which serves a similar purpose, and he has a sort of Fire and Ice, which, uh, and three guys in the sideboard, actually. But he's a sort of Fire and Ice, and he, he may want to maybe add an additional sword or so based on what his opponent is playing. But, you know, you, you need the higher creature count than you would normally play. These decks need to skew towards the mid-range end of the spectrum and not the control end. I think uh, a lot of players have really romanticized the idea of Cawblade as a concept, right? Where you play a low creature count control deck that has this like one card combo. And Modern's removal is too efficient and too uh too bountiful, right? So you need you just need to have more bodies. And the same thing is happening in Legacy. You you know, people play GTA and they don't play Sword of Fire Nice, even though it's good because you can't necessarily just equip it to anything. Your, your Snapcaster is a frail body. Your Stoneforge is a frail body. You don't have trinets. Gonna, you don't right, have trinets. Your opponent's going to kill things, basically. 
I think the Black Green Sword's far better in the format, especially since you really kind of want to take... It's not about drawing more cards. There's only two forces to draw to. I think it's more about keeping your opponent off of cards. Yeah, I mean, speaking of swords, uh, do you want to give a quick rundown, or shall we give a quick rundown of the equipment that we expect people to play or should probably keep an eye on? Oh, definitely. Let me ask you one question real quick about this list. Would you think that Flicker Wisp with Batter's Fall would be better in this list than like Geist or like one of the other three drops? Like, would Flicker Wisp be better to reset Batter's Fall? And you can technically reset like your opponent's Fate of Isles and whatever. Or do you like do you like this these this suite of stuff? Well, I did see a mono white list that somebody posted on Twitter that had quad flickerwise, quad vile. It was basically legacy death and taxes, ported into modern, but with Squadron Hawk instead of um, Revoker. And you know, I'm I'm okay with it. I'm totally fine with it. Uh, Interesting. It was who was it? I have no idea how to pronounce it. Aspiring Spike. Maybe if you search that, it's M O U G H O N E V A R T. Um, and their deck is basically just Legacy Death and Taxes. They have three Ranger Captain Mios and they have four Force of Virtue with some Legacy decks are playing. But it's definitely interesting. And I think it, you know, may have legs. And uh, going back to the whole Stoneforce leveling thing, you know, we have a mono white list. We may see like a green white list. Or affinity. Right. Affinities. Right. That's one. Affinities, another deck that has played Stoneforge Mystic and Legacy, and we may see it in modern. Uh, Having the ability to just tutor up a cranial plating is pretty huge. Yeah, cranial plating is huge. I like, uh, uh, there's a lot of, I mean, well, let's get to the swords, but there's a lot of stuff we should think about. So, yeah, there's a lot of absurd ideas. And if we were to go in depth on all of them, we'd be here for five hours. Um, the swords, sort of light and shadow, one of the old school swords that uh, I loved back in the day, especially when you had mono white creatures beating down on each other. Because it's a raised dead and a... Uh, yeah, you gain three life per head and then you raise dead a creature. Sort of Light and Shadow is pretty nice because it is good in those uh, Path Exile Mirrors. Um, one thing that's interesting about Modern in comparison to Legacy is they don't have True Neighbor. Their evasive threats are a bit different. So your hit rate on the swords may be a bit worse, right? Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out in terms of which swords get to trigger the most. You know, the sword you play should be based on which matchups are relevant to you. So Light and Shadow is pretty good against something like Jund. And I've seen Black Green Rock lists play in the past. So maybe we'll see a bit of Sword and Light and Shadow come up. The only issue is you really need creatures to capitalize on it. So that goes back to the whole Flash list thing where you have Resto, Spellqueller, Geist maybe. Uh, just the ability to buy back a bunch of creatures. Um, the next sword we have on the list is sort of Fire Dice, which didn't be everyone's default, but I think that maybe just copying Legacy deck lists. I'm not sure if Sword and Fire Ice is actually the best sword. Uh, Legacy 
there's a lot of blue creatures and there's a lot of creatures with toughness or you know whatever centralized around one to two so this card is often draw a card kill a creature whereas modern is a whole well, so is lightning bolt still the most played removal i'm not sure i mean i'd imagine path to exile is about to spike up right like you right right i'm sorry but the traditional decks that are like I think Lightning Bolt was probably up there as far as like most played the most played removal has been Lightning Bolt for a while. And so like if that is the removal of choice, then sort of Fire and Ice is a really good sword. You know, I mean it's it's fairly well it's free in that aspect. It's the best sword in a vacuum, right? Like if nothing else is going right. on and you're smacking your opponent with a sword, you want it to be fire and ice because it's drawing a card. Uh, but right. in the context of like what opposition you're gonna face, there's a lot of colorless creatures. There's a lot of green creatures. You know, unless you have an evasive threat, uh, sort of fire and ice, its protection clauses aren't going to be as relevant as some of the other ones. Um, you know, like players have been gravitating towards feast and famine as a main deckable sword, and that makes sense to me. Well, that's because, I mean, Stoneblade has a terrible clock, generally, because they have to take the turn off. So, like, grabbing cards from the opponents and untapping your mana, probably, to help your development up and to get back that mana investment from Stoneforge Mystic, like, makes sense to me, right? Yeah, for sure. So, I do like Feast and Famine. One of the new ones, Sinu and Steel, I really think is interesting, especially if Blade decks become the go-to. Yeah. Like it's, it's kind of a mirror breaker in that. Exactly. In Legacy, we've usually seen um, Manriku Guzari get played, which is two drop, one equip, target creature gets plus one, plus two, and tap destroy target equipment. And that's seen a decent amount of play in uh, sideboards of like Death Attack and Rain and Snowblade, Stoneblade List, and Stoneforge is like the ubiquitous, overwhelmingly dominant threat of the format. Oh man, this used to be Merfolk Hot Tech. Oh they yeah, would they would violin their phantasmal image to copy your Mystic to go get Menrookie Guzari. Like it was, it was their Hot Tech. I've definitely seen that a few times, and uh, it is uh, it is gross to watch. But um, sort of cinnamon steel is maybe the modern day Menrookie Guzari. It's plus two, plus two target or the quick creature has protections from black and red, uh, which is relevant against like Terminator, Lightning Bolt, or what have you. Uh, even maybe the card Death Shadow. But it has the ability that when a, the equipped creature deals damage to a target player or deals damage to a player, it destroys a target planeswalker or up to one target artifact. And this could be a potential mirror breaker in the Stoneblade mirrors, similar to Manriki. Uh, but it also has the added benefit of maybe killing a Jace or, you know, Narset or what have you. Uh, maybe those mirrors become way more mid-rangey. Uh, Sword of Center and Steel wasn't particularly hyped up when it first popped up on the scene. And uh, maybe good now. It's definitely a, It's definitely a sword. That is a sideboard sword. As far as like 
this sword is like, you know, instead of running a disenchant, you can run sort of Sinew and Steel. Or instead of running like a Planeswalker hate spell, you've got this sword now that you can tutor up. Because it's basically like running two of those spells on your board if Mystic can go find it. Yeah, for sure. It's I'm interested to see what happens with sort of Sinew and Steel. I think the classic swords have already been bought out. I'm not sure about this one. I don't really pay attention to card prices because I don't play enough paper magic to really care. And um, I'm curious to see how this this one pans out here. They they haven't been touched as much. I, I only know because I follow all the card prices and they haven't been touched as much. Everybody's worried about the, the printings on the older swords because there's less cards. There's less physical copies of them. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it may be prudent to pick up a sword of snow and steel. Um, you made a note about truth and justice, which I don't even know what this card does. So th this is the Sword of Tundra. It's a plus two, plus two, pro white, pro blue. Whenever a quick creature deals combat damage to a player, put a plus one, plus one counter on a creature control, then proliferate. Now, why I put this on here is because of the affinity decks. Because this is basically the affinity... So this is the hardened scale equipment. Do you think it's better than sort of um, what is the red white one? Warren. Um, if you have like some of those, you know, they're basically like they've got like a hangerback walker and a ballista in play, and then an arcbound ravenger. Yes, yes, I would say this. because I mean, it, I mean to proliferate to put a counter on one thing and then proliferate across. Like that that could be you animate your ink moth nexus, you hook it up to this thing, you swing, and you put the counter on the nexus and you proliferate across the board. You know, and it's I mean the the proliferate is interesting. Um but do you it seems like you're valuing the proliferate clause higher than I'm valuing the protection. And I think sort of war and peace, blinking, lightning bolt, lightning helix, path exile is way more relevant I, at the moment. That's um, definitely, you know, that's definitely the better, one of the better of the swords because of the protection colors. But I was actually speaking towards the ability as the proliferate mechanic on there because even like a standard mystic deck, Stoneforge mystic deck, getting the ability to use this in the mirror when all the creatures are blue-white and you probably have something to proliferate on and you you are you auto, you automatically have a creature. I guess you can proliferate onto your Narset or Teferi or maybe your Jace or whatever, and um, start creating some obnoxious gain states for your opponent where you get to activate Narset more than two times, or you know you get to Jace bounce their sword and slowly take it back up or what have you. It it seems like a disgusting proposition. Also, if you ever get to proliferate an opposing Chalice or Vile. Like you take their vial up to four or five and laugh at them, or you know the chalice up. Like it's it's you know there's there's other uses for it, but it's you know I I don't actually think this sword is bad, especially if everyone's playing blue white mystic decks. You know, I would I would definitely consider this sword. You know, I do think worn peace is the better protection clause, maybe the best protection clause out of the bunch. Yeah, and. War and Peace has traditionally been a objectively low power sword, but against the control shells, it's been obnoxiously powerful because it usually just blinks all their removal. So whatever creature you get 
your sword of worn peace onto. It's it's indestructible. You just plow through your opponent. And they uh, don't leave the table happy at all. No, I mean you get hit. You get hit one time with it, and the 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 life gain slash life loss just it just swings a it swings a race. Yeah, so for the people that didn't that don't know this, the uh, sword of war and peace is star red, pro white, plus two plus two. One of you smack them in the head, you deal damage to that player equal to the number of cards in their hand, and you gain one life for each card in your own hand. So I mean it it's definitely a racing sword, right? Yeah, for sure. It it really swings races super hard. Um I I also put in I also put in inventor's goggles for you, Lawrence, because of uh the the artificer deck. That's what um Canister called his deck earlier was Artificer Blade or something like that. And I realized that that Goblin Engineer, Stoneforge Mystic, and Urza are all artificers. So there's an an equipment that I put in the show notes called <laughs> Inventor's Goggles, one mana. Equipped creature gets plus one, plus two. Whenever an artificer enters the battlefield under your control, you may attach inventor's goggles to it for free. And it's got equipped too. So it, it's low power, but it's kind of cool that you just hook up to your squires, your, your squire tribal deck, and it makes them double the squire. That's, um... <clears throat> you can say garbage. <laughs> Uh, that's a uh, uh. you can say garbage. I'm okay with that. I just thought it was funny to me, like that that it was like the artificers have their own blade. So how about collect a company? <laughs> oh man, that's the deck that I'm. So like the decks for their combo decks that play Mystic, that kind of scares me a little bit. So because like you, you start having to like parry these stone blades out of them the stoneforge mystics from them and, and then they can collect a company and they can land into divided Druid and vizier and you're like dead because you were dealing with the batter school nonsense right i think that uh stoneforge is one of the best duress effects in magic is their opponents overreact to it and they have to spend mana to like resolve the duress per se and they like the idea of jamming's you know, Stoneforge next to a combo finish. Part of what we were talking about with Urza is that, you know, it has the combo finish, but Stoneblade maybe, or the Stoneblade package maybe fits in pretty well. Um, Tom White, the guy who played Blue White, you know, Finkel slash, uh, what's his name, Kibler Blade, he played against a devoted Druid deck that had Stoneforge in it, and that's really nice for that deck, because it doesn't have a really good beatdown plan, and Devoted Druid has to die on the spot. So, if you turn to your Devoted Druid and they kill it, and you follow up with your Stoneforge Mystic and they don't have a removal spell, you have something to tie them up for some number of turns until they figure something out. Well, the big thing for me is like the Urza deck doesn't get ahead on mana very fast, especially because of the, the Astrolabes where the Devoted Druid deck has mana dorks in it. So they can actually get ahead and offset the, the Mystic Time Walk effect 
And also them having another lightning rod, they don't care. Like that's, you know, their whole deck's full of lightning rods. So good luck, right? Well, that's actually what they want, right? Yeah. It's a duress that they can't utilize against combo, but it's still good against all the fair decks. So that's just good enough for them. Right. And they have enough creatures to put this equipment on. Exactly. A devoted druid can carry a sword. Uh, whereas, you know, I guess your Snapcaster can as well, but you don't have Devoted Druid and Noble Hired and all of the other creatures in those decks that can carry a sword. So you don't have the redundancy. Well, it also makes like the bad creatures like Vizier, it makes them into something good where they're only like, you know, they, they have really no text box until they're in combo. But now they can put a sword on and they can just get jiggy with it. So I love it. I actually love that in this. I, I mean, I'm scared of it, but I like it in this deck. Yeah, I like the fact that Stoneforge Mystic re revitalizes the um, backup plan of just like beating your opponent to death in these green shells, which they pretty much had abandoned once they started going to the Devoted Druid plan in favor of just being a very redundant green-based combo deck. Yeah, they were getting faster and faster and more worried about their combo, and they were playing cantrips for their combo and everything else. So, you know, the, the idea that this is slowing them down a little bit to play Stoneforge Mystic, but making more resilient in the same note, I, I, I think that's a healthier side of play. I don't want to die on turn three. You can kill me on turn five or six because that gives me time to set up a shop and try to fight back. So Yeah, I don't hate it. Uh, we'll see how that pans out from there. I don't know about Spirits as the other company deck. Because, I mean, that's what... See, to me, like... What's neat about it, these company shells is, you know, Mystic does get hit off company at the same time, which is really kind of silly when you think about, like, card quality advantage. But, you know, I, I don't know if Spirits can afford to play it because Spirits list is so tight, but I almost think they have to if everyone else is doing it, which is what some people are concerned about, the arms race. So Spirits is like the legacy merfolk of modern it's the blue deck that beats up other blue decks. And when you look at it that way, it's it's like Stoneforge Mystic is the one creature you can kill with your removal, but you don't care, right? Because they kill your Stoneforge Mystic, you're like, all right, cool, or something, I guess, guys. And then you play all of your lords, and you play everything else, and your opponent just dies, right? Your I, don't, I don't, I think it's the same problem that Urza has. They don't have the mana to let Mystic sit around. Like, they do have the cool uh, play pattern of holding the three man up on turn three to put in Batterskull and then flash in the... Spellcaller? Yeah, Spellcaller to get you. Like, it, it still goes into the issue that, like, they don't have the mana sitting around. Uh, they kind of do. Like, the deck has historically played mana sinks. The biggest issue with Spirits has been the fact that its curve has like some relevant one drops and then it has a bunch of relevant three drops and it doesn't have enough true drops that you care about it has like selfless spirit and has rattle chains um but stoneforge is a good addition because it gives you something to do in the interim turns and even if your stoneforge dies or whatever you get to you know you may play stoneforge and you're probably tap out to play uh a removal spell or what have you that gives you a turn to play your selfless spirits and then play your Whatever the three one three lord is, um, and then eventually 
lay that up into a turn where you get to spell card. I think I think Stoneforge works well with the deck's play patterns, and then eventually, you know, you get to play your sort of insert whatever your deck your opponent's playing, and all of your spirits have hexproof, and you just kill them. So it allows spirits to really just have that extra curve filler that they needed, that extra like push that they needed. It, I think it's really good for the deck, actually. I just I know once they got Supreme Phantom, which is I think what you're talking about, it's a two, it's a two mana one three that their two drops started getting kind of full because they like played some number of images and I think I know they won't play the Lavinia's anymore because Hogax gone, but like they had like images, they had remorseful clerics, they had which I guess don't need to be need. I guess maybe you're right because they they had like several slots that were for the Hogax. Maybe they don't need them as much. Because I knew they had Remorseful Cleric, Lavinia, Image, and Self the Spirit, and then Supreme Phantom. Because they had like 12 or 13 two drops in their deck. But they don't need four of them now. It gives them a higher power two drop. <clears throat> the issue before yeah. was like, you know, just the Self the Spirit or just the Supreme Phantom. That wasn't enough to create a relevant game state off of. So we need Mulligan in your hand was just like one of those two drops and no one drop. and maybe a three drop it could be hard to piece together a game plan like spirits is really good when you're double spelling or when you're threatening something but when your game plan is just here's my thing and then here's my one other thing and you're just like slowly putting cards into play it you just got ran through and it's always the bad human stack to me i'm not gonna lie I'm gonna be I'm gonna be that guy and say I always felt like this deck was a bad humans deck because this deck never got it never snowballed and went wide it just kind of went wide where humans snowballs and goes wide so like I don't know it's got more disruption technically but I don't I don't even know if it really does so I mean I've never understood the attraction to this deck I get the comparison because they're both tribal decks but they kind of function differently um, spirits is like. Spirits is like the list of Merfolk that had Days and Force of Will in it, whereas Humans is just, you know, a more aggressive shell, per se. See, um, I actually think that Spirits reminds me of Merfolk with Standstill because I collect the company, and Humans reminds me of Merfolk with Days because of all their, like, because of Kaisel Freebooter and everything else. All the, but, all the modern players who've gotten this long into the podcast are just like, what are these guys talking about? We're talking about Merfolk list from 2013. That's right. that is what's happening right now. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, that's that's where I would. I mean, I've always felt like Spirits was like. I just feel like you should play humans, but but some people like this strategy. It was popular a couple years ago. Staring at you, so, light. Yeah, I mean, and if you're listening and you love it, I'm sorry, but um, I just think that explosive factor is not quite here. Mystic might be, I mean, I will say, like, I'm looking at a current deck list right now, and Mystic would be better than some of these two drops. Yeah. I mean, I team with Cat for a team open. Jesus Christ, Spirits is a terrible deck. Um, Having an actual drop is appealing. There are just a lot of draws where that deck just doesn't do anything for a while. It's it's too synergy-driven, and the upside of Merfolk is that every one of your spells does the same thing as everything else, 
You're either a silver yellow adept or a lord. And Spirits is just like, here's a bunch of variable effects that don't do anything unless you have three to four creatures. In play. I was going to say, I don't even know if like Mausoleum Wanderer into Supreme Vansom is that good. And, and that's like kind of like, I guess, no, it's not. It's really not that good. And the Noble Hierarchs completely throw off the whole plan. So, like, you need a mana dork in your deck that has a terrible curve. Uh, you're also playing Forest, but I could see, um, you know, there were blue white spirits lists and there was some debate whether or not they were good or not. I could see Stoneforge Mystic actually making the blue white spirits list completely worth it. Right. You know, but yeah, you don't need to go to three if you've got Stoneforge. So, yeah, it's different. Um, what do you think, uh, with all these talks of these Stoneforge Mystic decks, what do you think, uh, people should be playing to fight it? I believe there's an SCG this weekend, maybe FCG Dallas, or it's next weekend. All I know is people are talking about it. I haven't really looked at the schedule. It's this weekend. Um, but, uh, you know, Stoneforge is a card you can go over. You can play Tron. You can go under it. Um apparently dredge is still a thing, right? And every time a fair enabler gets something in modern, we have the response being an overwhelming amount of just degenerate stuff happening, you know? And uh, we've seen Sodek, the magic online grinder, and there was someone else uh, who played against Michael Mapson. And they're playing Dredge. Uh, Sodex's list is for Tomescour, which is the one blue target player puts the top five cards in their graveyard. Or oh. their library to their graveyard. All the mill fans know this card. You don't have to read it. Yeah, and then there's Shriekhorn Cathartic Reunion, which is interesting because when I was thinking about it, I was also thinking about a rug-based uh, Dredge list. But I was thinking about cards like... Um, let me find my list here. Maybe Thought Scour, uh, because you can use it as a way to just get that immediate dredge. But I guess the milling two isn't as reliable, right? It forces you to pair it with another dredger. Not a dredger, but another enabler. Uh, but there's also Bizarre Trade Mage, which I feel like the card's generally a bit slow, but obviously a Bizarre Activation is absurd. And then another card was Desperate Ravage, which was um, a card that used to be run in like 2015 Aggro Loam, something somewhere around there. And it is a uh, red and a colorless, draw two cards, discard a card at random. And then Flashback is a blue and two colorless. And you do the same thing, of course. And that could be interesting. I think. Uh, the initial enablers are pretty good, and obviously Cathartic Reunion is... Insane. Yeah. Insane. <laughs> it's and actually think, insane. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I think that just maybe Desperate Ravings could be that extra boost that you want, you know? That extra oof. The... Just that nice little push. Um, having flashback is obviously nice. But we'll see where things go from here. I like uh, the Scott Bruinators. I'm so happy to see Scott Bruinator in a list. Oh, yes. The other person, uh, MTG Dell on Twitter, has Scott Bruinator, which is the... It's like the three-mana 5-6 that 
to cast it from the graveyard, you have to exile three cards from your graveyard or something for creatures. For creatures, yeah. Yeah, and that's interesting. They have Benchwine in their deck. So Sodek was going more for just traditional dredge, whereas this person is going for dredge vine. And um, I'm curious to see how this pans out. The graveyard decks aren't gone. They're just neutered, and I think that's fine. You know, this person has Keychain Crab. As I mentioned, there's other options to consider. Well, Scabrunator can be cast from your graveyard too. So it's a it's three mana it's a three mana five six flyer, but you have to exile three creature cat three car three creature cards when you cast it from your graveyard, and it can be cast from your graveyard. Well, I only know this because I I really like spec'd hard on these cards, and then they never panned out at all. So because I was like, oh my gosh, so cheap, cast it from the graveyard. And I, I was just, I picked the wrong card. Yeah, I mean, Scab Ruinator can only be cast from a graveyard in legacy involving Lion's Eye Diamond, and that isn't consistent enough right. uh, for that format. But maybe, 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 just maybe Modern will uh, make your spec pale, right? Yeah, I'll have to find them. Probably not worth it for me. They're, they're only been holding, holding onto that card since, what, six years? Something like that? Four or five? I think it's Innistrad block. I can't remember. It's really bad that I, I should know that, but it was such a bad decision. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, Innistrad block, good. Um, yeah, we'll see. I like Dredge. I really think Tron is still bonkers. So, you know, I mean, Tron, Tron for some reason, ancient stirrings. I, I don't know why. And you don't have to play the bad. Eldrazi Tron anymore, which is great. So, who cares? Uh, Tanning Grace offers coaching. Hit him up. He's the Tanning Grace on He's Twitter. Uh, on that, he looks like get on. a very, very fantastic <clears throat> physique. Yeah, it is a strong, strong second place. Yes, in fact, so I would definitely say that you know he can at least get you to the finals. Yeah, Tanning will definitely get you to the finals. Past that. Uh, yeah. these teams. Uh, I don't know about that. Love you, Tannen. You think Storm? You think Storm? Maybe Aria Flame Storm or regular Storm is ready to come at, come at people? Potentially. I mean, Storm, Neoform, uh, any sort of super linear strategy I think will be good right now. That's usually what happens in Modern when people try to play these fair-based mopey decks, these mid-rangey, you know, when the format starts inbreeding that way, usually Storm, Tron, Neoform, or uh, Grishelbrand is used to, but now it doesn't have Faithless Looting. There are other builds that you can go about, but you get what I'm saying. These linear, you know, decks that just run through someone, maybe Affinity Blade as well. Uh, I'm not sure if the Hardened Skills list is better, but you know, Affinity could, is definitely able to run Stoneforge Mystic. It can easily splash the white, and um, it's also it's also proactive enough to make you question casting Stoneforge Mystic. Like they have some starts where, you're like, you're like, if you're on the draw and you have a Stoneforge Mystic, you're dead. Like if that's what you're leaning on. Yeah, for sure. Like the the quick cranial plating draws, or even quick batter skull draws, are going to be pretty obnoxious so that's something to consider and then 
On the flip side, Grixis Death Shadow could be good again. Oh, um, um, the deck is very lean and efficient, right? It has discard spells, it has the removal, it has big things to smack you in the face with. Oh, yeah, sir. K command you and your draw stab. Get back my Snapcaster Mage. Snapcaster Mage, K command and your draw stab. Yeah, people were going to miss that. Yeah, I mean, also people play Grixis Control, but. I don't know. At least week one, I'm not sure it'll be better than the uh, Shadow Shells. So that will be uh, something we'll have to see. I'm, I'm curious to see how that takes out. Esper uh, Shadow, I think, will actually be very popular. Because I want one brave soul to run Stoneforge Mystic in their Esper Shadow just to get weapons. Not Batter Skulls. Like, they can play the Batter Skull out of the sideboard and be cheeky. But just to play it in the main deck and get swords for... Well, for the the new ranger captain to wear, so he can maybe graduate into a death shadow one day, and you know, just different things like that. I think that's kind of cool. Like, I don't know if it'll happen, but I think it's cool. Sort of light and shadow, and like a random creature plus ranger captain could to be some sort of weird, obnoxious hard lock against control shells. But I'm not sure those decks play enough creatures outside of death shadow and ranger captain. To really justify that, it's hard to play Death Shadow plus an effect that gains you life. But they're Esper. They can, well, I'm not saying they play the Batter Skull in the main. Like they just get swords. Well, the sword gains you life, and that would loop Ranger Captain. So that uh, was the idea I was going. Yeah. With. Which, you know, maybe there's something there. Maybe there's not. It, it is probably too disynergistic with the deck, but we'll see how that pans out. Um. Also, have you seen this Infimerate Soul Herder deck? It, start, it first started in Modern, and I'll get to talk about it later in Legacy, but have you seen it in the Modern? Like, it's basically... Uh, I know Gabe Nassif made the finals of the Modern Challenge with it, and he's the one who originated the deck. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's a, it's, a different, it's a different set of uh, cards, man. It is a different set of cards. Um, I don't know if it's a way to beat Stoneforge Mystic, but it can actually probably go toe to toe if the storm if the if the format slows down, it can go toe to toe with it and outdraw it in cards and everything else. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, just the deck is just a value shell, and Stoneforge Mystic. If your opponent's playing it, it's tying up their mana for a couple turns. So they aren't really interacting with what you're doing. So maybe these non-Stoneblade shells or even Stone Hoarder, which is just like play my Stone Forage and not do anything with it, because that is definitely a pattern that people don't employ enough. Um, right now, the general response is, oh, I can't wait to call against Commander Stone Forge and your Batter Skull. But if your opponent just has Stone Forge Batter Skull, then... Or not so far, but has Bulligan's command, and you think they have an answer, you just don't do anything. Right. And no, I mean, I, that's actually 100% correct. I used to beat, uh, I played Blue White Stoneblade last year when Grixis Control was really popular, and I beat them most of the time because I just actually didn't put the weapons into play. I would actually yeah. brainstorm, them, brainstorm them away and refest them up with Snapcaster Mage. You know, or, yeah, for sure. Or Stoneforge or, or another Stoneforge, yeah. yeah. And we actually had a few Stoneforge tips, and that was one of them. Uh, 
you can use Stormforge Mystic as a pseudo Rishin port where you can force your opponent to consistently hold up the answer for your Stoneforge, or they have to like cast a one for one. And you know, that may buy you a couple turns to develop your hand or what have you from there. Um the next tip was to play around Vendillion Click by activating Stormforge on your main phase. This obviously plays into disenchant effects, but I think Vendillion Click will probably go up in stock, at least for now, because a lot of players are going to it as a thing that they can put a sword on and pair well with their equipment. and Just a general pseudo-disruptive, pseudo-aggressive threat, because the, I think the blue-white shells will go further away from the control base to closer to more of a mid-range deck. And uh, that's definitely one. Well, they I mean, they have to play creatures, right? That's the thing. Like, they're going to have to play creatures if they're going to play the play package to any kind of success. So you're definitely going to have to play against opposing B-clicks because of that. Yeah, for sure. And I posted this tip on my Twitter. Uh, if you know you're bouncing your your batter skull and putting it back into play, you should activate your Stoneforge Mystic and then maintain priority and then activate your batter skull. And what that does is it allows you to play around removal effects. So if you bounce your batter skull and your opponent just, like casts a removal spell in response, or like to the trigger, you can't put it back into play. But if you activate your Stoneforge, then bounce your batter skull, your opponent can kill your stone forge, but you still at least get your batter skull back into play. Unless you're like playing two two batter skulls and you want to look like a noob on purpose and get them. And I have done that. I actually think two batter skulls is potentially good right now. I think a lot of players are going to overreact with additional uh, artifact hate and uh, I don't know. There may be lingering bits of Eldrazi Tron. And I know when Eldrazi Stompy showed up in Legacy, we um, saw the Japanese players play a lot of stone blade lists that had double batter skull in them, which I'm not sure if singleton batter skull is even objectively correct. I feel like that's just a deck building hangover from the days when the answers for batter skull were less abundant. Uh, maybe even in Legacy, we should be playing two batter skull. And I think in modern, I did. there's a pretty good chance that you should just be playing double batter skull in your list. Uh, unless you have, like, Academy Ruins or Goblin Engineer, some way to recur it, right? Yeah, I played... Last time I played, I, when I cut the five-mana Narset, I cut five-mana Narset, which was, like, Academy Ruins Walker for equipment. I played second batter skull. And I actually got my opponent because they thought I was noob sauce because I acted... I brought batter skull back. They bolted my Stoneforge Mystic, I activated it, and they started to tell me that I couldn't put Batter Skull in play when I put the second Batter Skull from my hand into play. And they told me that that play got them because they had two lightning bolts. And if they if they hadn't thought I was a noob, that they would have got me. But, oh well. I do like Batter Skulls times two in modern, though. Yeah, um... We'll see if people pick up with that. I feel like there's a lot of general deck building risk that players fall into based on the past. And I, I want to say Singleton Batter Skull is, is an affect of Legacy having brainstorms so you could 
actually just brainstorm away your single batter skull if your stoneforge dies, or if your batter skull dies, you have other powerful effects to follow up with, which modern you kind of do, but they're a bit more disjointed. You don't have as good of a cantrip base. Or a standard where the answers for batter skull weren't as efficient, you know? I definitely agree with you. Um, I, you really should check out that ephemerate deck sometime. I did post it into the show notes for anybody who wants to look at it, because I love the idea of this deck. Not before the ban, but after the ban now, because I think the entire format is going to um, maybe slow down into these grinding mirrors, and this is like probably one of the nuttier decks, and it's got a combo finish with a time warp, uh, infinite time warps. So, you know, to me, it's a neat it's a neat idea. It snowballs and then gets kind of silly. So, you know, it's neat. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a... Oh, it's neat. It's neat, man. Like, you got four Force of Negations. Because Nassif, he knows. He knows. He's got one... Uh, he's Stonehorn Dignitary and all that. Oh, yeah. You, yeah, he can completely... And the lock. Time Warp. Okay. Yeah, he can completely okay. lock okay. you out of the game. I I see what he's going for here. I can get behind it. He wrote an article on Channel Fireball, so you guys can uh, check that out. Also, you get to debut with Wall of Blossoms. Like, since it got it was printed in Modern Horizons, so now it's legal in Modern. So you get to play the green Wall of Omens, the OG. And that's just kind of, that's nice. I like it. I like everything about this. Yeah, uh, sure. I like everything about this deck as far as grinding. So, um, what about legacy? Well, we had nothing, nothing happened in legacy, right? No changes. Yeah, for sure. Um, there were no ban list updates. So it was just kind of more of the same thing. Uh, like legacy doesn't even exist, right? (laughs) I mean, who cares about (laughs) legacy? It's, uh, it's just a casual format or something. No, I actually think Legacy's on a fine spot. There are some cards that are questionable, but I don't think they're as egregiously broken as, like, Hogak or Karn and Vintage, you know? So I think that uh, it's fine that Watsy decided to just leave Legacy as is, and... What is this let- tweet from Eric Hawkins? Um... Eric Hawkins tweeted out his thoughts on what should be banned in modern, legacy, standard, etc. And with modern, he said ban Ho- Manamorphose, Hogak, Mox Opal, Ancient Starring's Faithless Looting, and unbanned Stoneforge Mystic and the Artifact Lands, which... Crazy. Crazy talk. <laughs> Crazy talk. I, I'm sorry, I opened the tweet up and I saw unbanned Artifact Lands. Well, artifact lanes aren't as busted without mods. So, I guess you can play like Thoughtcast for free, but Affinity. you also have to keep in mind that well, there's also a no rod effect in modern, right? And Stoneforge just got unbanned, so if they also ban unbanned artifact lands, you know your mana base just gets ancient grudged. But Affinity, like <laughs> I can't. Yeah. <laughs> Affinity, like but, like the Fresh Maker. That that deck was effective, right? The fresh maker, right? Like affinity. I don't know, man. Mirror. What is it? Mirror enforcer. And um, what was the other? 
What was the other giant one? They've, they've got affinity for artifacts. Like they don't, they're not, they're unplayable because the lands aren't playable. But ancient grudge, Steven. Ancient grudge. That's cute. You might be dead. They have welding jars, sir. They're free. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Regardless, I don't. I honestly don't have strong opinions on this. I think modern is um, a format where uh, he wanted little Narset and and Renin Six gone from Legacy. Okay. Yeah, I think that's fine. Like I personally feel like um, I think they're the fine. static ability planeswalkers are pretty egregious from a a deck building standpoint and just like a play pattern standpoint. But uh, I think that I think it's early for Ren and Six. I think it's I th- really early. Yeah, I think it's definitely early for Ren and Six. Narset and Teferi. Like if all the War of the Spark planeswalkers just got banned out of existence, I would be fine with that. Uh, not because they're inherently busted, but because they're they're annoying. Like I'm, you know, I, I could see it. I, I, I mean, personally, for me, I think they're fine because Legacy's really kind of balanced right now. But I know a lot of people don't think that way. But it's right now to me, Legacy's more like old modern, and it's it's a reciprocal effect. Like this deck's hot, so then next week the deck that preys on it's hot, and then next week the next day. Like if Timeforge Mystics decks are doing well, which they actually are, then it's actually a pretty wide open metagame. Because Blade's the the you know the 50-50 deck of the format. Yeah, for sure. Um with Ren and Six, I think that it's fine for now. We'll see what happens. It's definitely warped the format, but it's given a new a new look at things. And I think that having a new look at things is pretty nice. Just not having Legacy be this slightly different iterations of the same decks over and over. I like the fact that decks like Miracles and certain other shells have been rendered obsolete, at least for the time being. You know, even though I like playing Miracles, and it's probably one of my decks of all time, I'm totally happy with it not being a deck in the format. Is it it breathes a new life in the legacy? Yep. I'm one hundred percent all about that. I like the Ren and Six. Um, I actually like the, what it's done to like all the decks. I think it's it's shaped the format in fun ways. And I think as people like are exploring ideas, like it's made Giver of Runes a t- card that everyone talked trash about is now like you know the mom of choice. She's not even stepmom anymore. She's like, okay, you can come to the family reunion, mom. I don't know. You know, I, I'm really begun. I've got. I've really liked the whole change where people are playing these X2s now because of it. Yeah, I we'll see what happens. Um, I think the shift towards X2s is interesting. Legacy is a format usually built around efficiency relative to power, and usually creatures centralize their toughness around one or two uh, based on that metric. And also Rug, man. Rug is back. Like, running six... This brought Rug back onto the map. Yeah. Uh, it, it won the Legacy Challenge. He uh, posted a list on Twitter, and uh, this individual, Fish Duggery, uh, took the list, made a couple changes based on card availability. I had a Jace the Mind Sculpture in the sideboard uh, after talking to No Walker. And this person has 
their sideboard is one blue elemental blast, one fluster storm, one vapor snag, one force negation, one submerge, one surgical, one return to nature, one bajukabog, one krakus, one tormod script, two red elemental, red elemental blast, one or two ancient grudges, and one magmatic sinkhole. My sideboard was a bit different. I had two surgicals, one tormod script. Um, they felt like the crop rotation was enough to justify the bajukabog. I don't feel as such necessarily um but you know it worked out for them i'm happy that it did uh, i've been working on this deck with max gilmore the mid max blog and i'm pretty happy where it came out and obviously noah walker we've talked a bit about this deck shell um i did ask them their matchups i don't quite have it on hand at the moment i know they played against depths two or three times and stone blade a bit and they played a pretty good spread of the format, so uh, it's pretty cool to see the deck do well. The last two challenges have been won by both No Bad Cards Rug and Four Color Delver, which are shells that I've worked on. So, Yeah, I mean, I like it. I don't know if I... Um, the bog might be cute, but then again, I mean, if he gets one guy with him, I guess it's worth it. They said that they got... Uh, they were able to get Phoenix with the crop out in a bog, but I think I think that's a bit too cute as opposed to just having the two people in the Tormund script. But I get it. I think inherent appeals towards having um, bog. Maybe you could have two surgical in a bog, but I feel like this list is a bit weaker to reanimator than I'd like the rug list to be. But you know, I mean, I I like the Jace. I like the Jace if you're going to build all this mana up because like that's the thing about Ren and Six you always have lots of mana so having like the extra card in your sideboard to build two is kind of nice. Um, it was funny that you say Phoenix because Phoenix is what took second and it was the land grant Phoenix deck with Bedlam Rivers yeah, and stuff and that's what they beat in the finals. So that is uh, that's definitely interesting. I haven't really looked at the challenge results. Uh, at this current moment, so it's um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's definitely a deck. The the basically the Phoenix deck is that it's the land grant version. Um, I don't know. It's it's got like lots of cards and control. It's like actually got control. It's not just speed. So. Um, Yeah, I, I can dig it. The the Phoenix shells are pretty good. Um, it was just like a Bedlam Reveler Phoenix Pyromancer deck, man. They're like good, but they're disjointed, if that makes sense. Maybe maybe they need a little bridging. We haven't really seen them since the printing of Run and Six. I'm not sure if it's a matter of players hedging a bit more or just the Phoenix decks falling out of the public eye. Uh, New cards got printed, right? That's probably really what right. it is. Like he's got an yeah. assassin trophy, a hedge probably depths, but like you know he it's you know it could be just someone who anticipated like the the banning and just wanted to start playing faithless looting and legacy. I don't know, but it's an interesting deck. Uh, I mean, I don't know about anticipating banning and wanting to play faithless looting, but you know people like to live their lives. The John Phoenix list is interesting, or Langrad Phoenix, per se. So, third third place was your uh, 
your favorite of the Dover decks, Blue Red Dover. I'm going to burn your face off. <laughs> it is most definitely not my favorite, but hey, you know. Um, Blue Red Dover is good. It's consistent. It does the same thing every game. You just run through someone's face. Or you melt them down. He has a meltdown in his sideboard. Oh, man, this guy's making me... Makes me very happy when I see a meltdown. Nothing like a uh, destroy all artifacts card. <laughs> Interesting. Is this better than um, the the newer one? Um, uh, what's it called? Brian Cook was running it for a while. What's the card? Um, it's by force. By force. Yep, that's it. Uh, I think it's. There, there's a drawback to buy force, I believe, on the mana. So, so buy force is one X, and you destroy X target things, whereas meltdown destroys X targets. things X or less. Yeah, X or less. Yeah, it's it's which it's pretty much just eats. Meltdown seems better in the fair shells where you're fine swinging a turn, just taking, dumping all of your mana into it, because usually that's enough to destroy your opponent, but the storm shells kind of need to be able to kill a bunch of artifacts in one turn plus go, maybe. Um, I'm not sure how much mana they're going to have left over after casting a Force though. So, I'm not, I'm not completely sure. I haven't played with either card that much on Legacy, and don't have strong opinions one way or the other. Uh, the Meltdown is definitely interesting. I like it as a two-minute answer for Chalice. Um, it can also hit, like, whatever random nonsense, like their Mox Diamond or their Chrome Mox, right? Like, you can two for one with the same one, one card. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, fourth place was Blade. Palace Jailer, Blade. Same yeah, thing. just Doc Blade. Just Blade is Blade. That, uh, there isn't anything particularly interesting about this list. Fifth place was another face, Faithless Looting deck. It was the Hogak deck. It's just Hogak. It is Legacy Hogak. Yep. Deck is still good against everything but Chalice the White Shells. Hey, he's got Rotting Regisaurs. He will take on your Chalice of the Void matchup, sir. That is 7 6 for 3. He is prepared. Only two. Like, I get it. It's going to do work, but. No. <laughs> Well, he's got shenanigans also. Four wear tears and shenanigans. He knows what his problems are. And in a braid. <laughs> he knows exactly what his problems are. I like it. Uh, in fact, wow. Where did you crawl out of? Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Every time I play against Infect with the Delver Shell, I just destroy them for the most part. And I don't know. Uh, maybe there's a bit of Tundra popping up. And a bit of non-interactive shells, and that's where Infect shines. And also, oh, okay. Uh, no, I'm just looking at a different deck list. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, I, it's, it just has the one stifle. Um, yep, it's the it's the Tom Ross one stifle crop rot nonsense. It's just Infect. You're going to get players who don't really know how to play against you, and you're also like a Delver shell that can goldfish just about as fast as the Copper decks. Um, seventh place, Rug Delver with Goose and Stifle. <laughs> Adventures with Tarmo. This person religiously runs Rug Delver on Moto. If you play against them, they're just going to be on Rug Delver. Uh, their list is 
pretty stock. I I don't know what else to say. I mean, with the uh, rise of Rug Delver, what do you think about? What are you going to do? Like, are you playing around the stifle? Because you've got two lists here in the top eight. They have identical starts minus the geese. Yeah, I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and I'm not even sure playing around the stifle in the dark is even remotely correct. Uh, I think you're maybe just supposed to YOLO, you know? Yeah. Go. Just crack your fetches. Um, more and more people are picking up the notepad cards. Rug is. Me and Max have been tweeting about it, and uh, the stifle lists are around. I guess you just have to have the read on your opponent. You know, do you have stifle? Do you not? Um, eighth place was Ant, not Tess. Ant. Stock is fine. Stock Ant like, deck. Stock Storm shells will do fine every once in a while. Um, or consistently based on like how good the player is. Uh, I'm not gonna go do it down that many more. Ninth was another rug Delver. This guy had hex drinkers. Um, yeah, that tech has been catching on a bit more lately. I haven't tried it myself. It seems interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, looking at the rest of the list, there's a lot of just rin and six shells. Uh, He's got the Lonely he, Sandbar over Fiery Islet. Yeah, Max likes the Lonely Sandbar. Noah Walker likes the Fiery Islet. I haven't particularly tested either. I'm leaning towards Fiery Islet as being better. One of the lists that interests me is uh, Ape Corrigan's list uh, in 19th place. That is like green-white lands. And it's three Ren and six, one Elvish Reclaimer, four Knight of the Relic Fairy, two Green Sinzianth, four Loam. Uh, four crop rot, four swords, four mock salmon, four exploration, and then 30 lands. Um, with the nodals being one of Blossom, Bajukabog, Dark Depths, Dried Arbor, Field of the Dead, Flagstones, Forest, Ghost Quarter, Caracas, Maze of Ith, and Scanner Grows, I believe that's just a check land or something. Um, He's got a Flagstones. That's hysterical. <laughs> yeah, he has two Thespian stages as well. More and more people have been adopting flagstones in their like Knight of the Reliquary shells or these like Dark Depths based Knight of the Reliquary shells because it pairs really well with Elvish Reclaimer. Right. And that's it, you know, your Elvish Reclaimer becoming not land neutral, but like a mana ramp effect is pretty cool. It's also got the bicycle land. Scatter Groves is the green white bicycle land, and that's neat. Like, that's, I remember when Lance picked up the uh, red-green one, so. Yeah, and it looks like Corey Burkhardt actually got 24th place with uh, Ant, which is interesting. Like, he's Magician 15, so. Cool. I mean, I'm, uh, I look at all these lists. There's not much to change. I mean, more of these, like, there's a 22nd place has, has got a uh, Maverick deck with, Elvis Reclaimers and Dark Depths. Or is this Green White? Oh, this is the Green White deck. Green White Depths. Yeah, this is Green White Depths. This is the Tagoras deck. It's just it's hysterical. You're looking at all these, it's like Dark Depths and but a lot, but they didn't get they didn't crack the top eight. So people may be, you know, they're building their decks to fight them. Especially you, you, you and Max and a couple others are uh, on Twitter talking about how many 
How many is the number you should have? Yeah, I've been playing three answers for depths, but I haven't been playing against depths a lot, oddly enough. Uh, I've been considering cutting my submerge for a copy of Force Negation just to balance me out up against like the combo shells a bit more. I've been beating the combo shells, but it's never been a comfortable matter. Uh, so maybe at like a GP or something, I would play a Force Negation of the Submerge. Uh, but on motor right now, I just have three answers for deaths because that's kind of a primary for me worry for me. I can see that. I, there's also um, draft blade was number twenty six. Draft blade is represented. We've got the weather's wayfair. Philip Fibblethip. Fibblethip. Um, yeah. I I can't believe this is still a deck. Yeah, um, I mean. Whether Wayfair or Wasteland is a real lock for a couple turns, so. Also, the next deck's mono-red, and it has Filigree Familiar, and this is not the first time this week I've seen this in a Legacy deck list, and I can't believe it because I thought it was only EDH playable. So, it like it's a three-mana 2-2 artifact. You gain two life when it ETBs. When it dies, you draw a card. It's like yeah, it's painter though. Like true, you can tutor up with your um, goblin engineer. It's just like a free sacrifice effect, or it's just a free blocker. I mean, he's I got like it. he's got Bexing Shusher and Smuggler's Copter too. This is all main deck. This guy was touched by a red mate, a blue mage. Yeah, this person wants to definitely harm someone uh, with their pyroblasts. I did not know that Vexing Shusher worked on creature spells. I just had to read it. I really did not know that. You've never been Vexing Shusher? I have on I... spells. Spells. Instant sorceries. Never a creature spell. Yeah, I guess it's historically been played out of burn, but I've definitely... Um... And you can recruit her for it. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Vexing Shusher. It's, I would be um, I would be very sour. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's something. Everything um, else is boring. I'm not gonna. We don't have to go on. Everything else is, you know, it's normal legacy. Yeah, and did you play any legacy this weekend? I did. I played four color control. My list is actually in the show notes. Um, I went three one. I lost to uh, Red Painter. Because I tapped game one, I thought seized him, and it wasn't. He had a card the Great Creator and a bunch of cards I could kill, and then he drew defensive grid and Trinosphere main deck, and something else, and I died. And then game two, I thought seized him. He had artifact, what Great Furnace. And as was his only land and a bunch of cards that didn't do anything. So I took the only one that gained value. He played his um, grindstone. I passed, he passed, or he passed back to me. I put my second land in play and I had a decay, a K command and uh, an assassin's trophy, but I didn't have any force wells. But I'm like, oh, I'm great. This is great. He, he drew a card, didn't make a land drop past turn. So I abrupt decayed the grindstone. And I untapped, and I went ahead and just main phase K command 
destroy your land, make you discard. And he went, okay. And then he drew for turn and went, City of Traitors, pitched him in Spirit Guide, Blood Moon. And I was sad. So, like, if I would have held my man up, I would have done so much better. But I went with a more aggressive line because the deck's so bad for me with no basics in my deck. So, Yeah, I think that um, the game plan of just destroy their land is totally fine. I don't think that there's really too many lines that punish you other than drawing exactly soul land plus having blood moon and well and it had to be that yeah. it had to be the order he did if he would have drawn the soul land first i had the wasteland so it had to be the exact order that he received them in, if that makes sense yeah for sure so like because i held the decay and he didn't play the soul land so, like, it was kind of a, you know, it was one of those situations. I think I still played it correctly. Um, uh, the other matches were, like, I played against Depths uh, ever since I started running the Assassin's Trophies with the Tyrant Scorn. Depths isn't that bad. Um, and I played against Storm, which was hard, but it's not that hard um, with the three discard effects in the main. So... I don't know. I don't think and, it's. I don't think it's that bad. And speaking of tyrant scorn, that's something I wrote about forever ago and then forgot about. And then who was it? Somebody posted decklist on Twitter, and Honor Dust responded, "Tyrant scorn." And I remembered the card after saying, "I think this card could be really good because it answers depths and uh, small creatures," as we had discussed previously. And Tarmogoyf. I'm sorry, not Tarmogoyf. Um. Uh, Gurmag Angler, it bounces it. Right, it can bounce Gurmag. And the card has been perfect for me in four-color Delver uh, for that capacity. I've been playing two for the last week or so. Um, I I didn't play a lot of Magic over the last weekend. I played three leagues with four-color Delver and then one league with White Stoneblade. I went 3-2 in the Stoneblade League. Both my losses were to Delver Shells, and not hitting land drops was uh, a major factor in those losses. And I think that the blue-white Stoneblade lists are just kind of just okay. They're just... Meh. Like, Tundra just doesn't feel that great. There's so many proactive things you can be doing in Legacy, and the Tundra Shells just don't feel as great. Stoneblade Forge Mystic is clunky and awkward at times and i think legacy as a format is way more efficient than the card and uh I, i'm i've been enjoying four color delver a lot more even though no bad cards run just some sort of proactive shell and with four color delver i went 12 and 3 uh my losses were stifle grixis delver uh it was GSY, and I kept a very speculative keep game three. Uh, it was five lands, Lightning Bolt True Name, which is very good against the Stifle Delver starts, but it's not so great against the start that he had where it was a bunch of cantrips, and then it was Bitter Blossom into Gurmag Angler. Uh, so I ended up floundering there. 
And then I played against Stoneblade, and I also knew this opponent. And uh, I haven't been boarding an Ancient Grudge against Stoneblade uh, when I padded, because I felt like I could mitigate Stoneforge by other means, Thoughtseize, like multi bit of Rocking. But after the match, I talked with my opponent a bit, and we went over the fact that True Name Nemesis as a card isn't really that threatening in the matchup. They don't have equipment. So I may go down to like one of Replicate, one Ancient Grudge, and go about the matchup that way. And I think uh, that could be potentially better. I haven't really been losing to Stoneblade that frequently, but uh, my opponent's hand was pretty proactive. They had, you know, I thought sees them at one point in their hand was Batterskull, GK, Back to Basics, and Supreme Verdict. So it was just like a lot of cards that were very good against me. So that happens. Uh, and then my other loss was just a Tangle Wire Prison Shell, and uh, I didn't draw enough countermeasure. Well, you're so, not, you don't build your board with, you know, old school lockout mud? Not really. I mean, I have the Ancient Grudge, I have two of Rupt Decays, I have the Four Forces. Uh, like I was talking about before, I've been considering a extra force negation because, at least in like on Moto, making playing the third uh, answer for deaths makes sense. But in a GP, players are more likely to just play what they know, and I think having the additional force negation is probably a little bit better because, at least in the early rounds, you're going to face the chalice chalice decks, and then you're also going to face um, the storm shells or whatever you may play you may hit belcher or whatever you know so having a fifth force will to board into is pretty good so i'm going to try that at least and see how it feels i mean i i don't you know legacy's for real wide open for the first time in a long time so i i think that um outside of the the depth stacks that you know and even the depth stacks, like green white version, is just so wacky to me, but it's really good. So, yeah. Um, other than that, what else did we see? We saw Edgar Megalish or Megahaze. I'm so terrible at pronouncing his name. Uh, he took you know, like I, Yeah, I, I've asked him how to pronounce, and he always says it faster than I can understand. I'm just like, you know what? We're just gonna call you Edgar. <laughs> he took second <laughs> in the face to face showdown uh, with uh, four color control, but not the colors that you know about. <laughs> it was on our DOS pile uh, featuring uh, Savin's Reclamation, which is a card that you and I talked about on the cast. And I mentioned Onrog as potentially a powerhouse uh, in Miracles, but I wasn't thinking about how well it paired with Brendan's Six Emblem. And uh, for those who don't know, the card is two in a colorless, uh, and it's a Sun Titan trigger. You return any permanent CMC three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield, and if it's cast from your graveyard, you get to make a copy of it and return two things. And uh, I hear his listing is pretty good. Does that uh, work with retrace? It casts two. Yeah, that's how it works. That's if hysterical. You have to, yeah, if you want to run six, you just get to. Just get all of the uh, things back. All of the things back. Well, you hard lock your phone out of the game, right? 
you get to ult your random six on seven. You get to buy it back immediately along with like a dark set or something. It's it just gets dark skinning just disgusting and Oh, he does have a Cephalic Coliseum. He really can lock him out too. Yeah, he has the Cephalic Coliseum we talked about and uh, I believe it was Eric Landon who played it, so initially and uh you know, Daniel Fournay won the tournament with uh Golgari Depths, which uh, we talked about being the best deck uh, on Twitter. I was uh, positing whether or not it would continue to be the best deck. Uh, it may or may not be. Uh, at least by Atlanta, right? Legacy as a format has been very cyclical and players have been answering it. So we'll see what happens. You know, Edgar played this uh, four-color list because it had Plow in it. And that was an answer to depths, which I'm not sure. He still just, lost though, right? Yeah, he he still lost. He only had two forcible Jesus. I could have sworn he had four. But Edgar has been known to cut forcible from his decks. Um, I can't. I feel like that's wrong. Regardless, um, he has four sorry. forces, two force negations. Yeah. Okay. Um, he has six forces in his main. He only has four forces. Two force wills, two force negation, unless... That's uh, right. Yeah, he's got six total forces, right? Uh, no. Oh, that, 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 that's wrong. He's got four force wills. I could have sworn he had four force wills in the deck list he posted. Yeah, he had four force yeah. wills in the deck list he posted on Twitter. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I wasn't even looking at that. I was looking at the picture. That's why... Yeah, he's got okay. he's got six. I don't, I don't know if I like the one spell snare and the one... He had two one-ofs that I wasn't sure about. I can take um, the spell snare. My only issue is that this deck doesn't have enough removal for the smaller creatures out of these shells. Right. And you're burning all of your plows on the Elvis Reclaimers and the like. Right. You know? And that's my issue. Uh, once they get around to casting their Merit Lace, you don't really have any material to work with. Uh, yeah, you have Narsets and whatever, but you have a lot of clunky sorcery speed effects that don't really impact the board. Uh well, I mean, this and, this main deck is just a blue white deck, right? It's yeah, a, it's, it's a blue white splash green and six, right? So, and I mean, that's probably fine. I just don't know if I would care for it. Um, it's definitely not something I would be inclined to play. I think uh, the fact that Reclamation can get Cephalid Coliseum back, I didn't even think about. Um, the fact that you recast it from the graveyard, you get like instantly like. Renan Six Coliseum, so that's kind of like your combo hard lock to get you know win the game with. And he does have four Renan Six, so he is like working towards something with that. I just yeah, for sure. I feel like uh, it's super fair though. Like the entire deck is super fair. It's got the humility for show and tell, but beyond that, it's it just seems like another deck shell that's really good against the fair decks and kind of medium against the unfair decks. And obviously black makes you probably a bit better against the unfair decks. Uh, the plows make you better against... I, you have universal answers, but I think you probably want closer to six removal spells. Uh, unless you're counting Raven six removal spell, then sure. Like you have eight removal spells as you want them. But uh, this sort of shell is interesting and maybe has legs in the long term. Uh, but I think this list is another case of Edgar taking a list that a legacy specialist has played and normalizing it a bit. 
Uh, that's what he did with strike. Those lists, he cut some of the cards that were a bit more the pet effects slash uh, more situational and played more generalized effects, and then he copied a GP. So I think that's kind of what we're seeing here. Just Edgar being a very good pilot and uh, good at normalizing other people's tech shells. Yeah, the rest of the top eight was just normal legacy. It was like, I think there was two blade decks, two green black depths total. And I think that um, they may have been both the same grindy ones. Yeah, but this is a Mox Diamond list too. And then an Eldrazi post, which is kind of cool for the, if it's got the, nope, it doesn't have the, the banned artifact from or restricted from vintage. Never mind. So it's just boring. Yeah, I mean, even like Maverick and Death and Texas. So it was a very fair top eight. So you know, if the rest of the format was like this, it was Edgar made the uh, a great call. Yeah, uh, I I think the deck's fine. I wonder how much stock people are going to put into this. Uh, it is a fairly local tournament record. I'm not sure how big these events are, I would say in the dark, like probably like 40 or so people, but you know, I'm fine with whatever. Um, I think that covers the bulk of what we want to discuss. I guess we have a few listener questions. Um, so Chase Hansen, Strifo asks, when evaluating a matchup, should we be looking at Masters versus Average, Masters versus Masters, or Average versus Average, not to, not to mention Below Average versus any of the above? Um, I think what he is referring to here is you'll often have players talk about how a matchup is supposed to be played. You know, someone may go, oh, my opponent played wrong, but their opponent may have a different strategy that they've learned how to approach a matchup from. Like when top was legal, I wouldn't plow mother runes. I would just develop my board state and eventually play towards a terminus to clear mother runes plus whatever. Um, I think ultimately in terms of evaluating matchups, you should have a spectrum, right? You should understand at if you look at like miracles versus death and taxes, and you think of the best two players you can think of, you should understand who would be favorite there per se and then if you think of average players you should understand who would be favored there as well so you need to have a very good understanding of where you are as a player i think where as opposed to like a master and if you are a master then obviously you know what have your where your opponent sits and it's the leveling game right like right you're trying to figure out what level they're at so you know exactly like what you can what you can do because you know exactly what a another person if they're if you're both like you know top tier you know exactly what they're going to do because you know you're you would do it but then if they're a lower tier now like you've got wild things going on and you might make what you consider is the the master play as he says it and then they just give a response that you don't expect and you get blown out because you build your whole play lines thinking that they'll play correctly and they just get it's, you. It's why Patrick Chapin says he does better at uh, PTs than GPs, right? He's better able to understand the logic that a player at a pro tour would employ than a player at a GP. And 
you know, he's going to play accordingly. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember, I don't remember the exact scenario, but like I, I had two creatures. I wanted my second creature to stick. I cast the first creature, it was forced. I cast the second creature. They untapped and cast a, they you know, cast a removal spell at it. And I was just like totally blown. Like I could have held up mana to protect it, but I didn't because I was so confident. They forced this play. And then they later on told me like they thought it was, you know, okay to trade three cards for two cards. It was a tempo gain or something. And I was like, but it wasn't. Like I'm completely baffled. <laughs> but it, yeah. I mean, it worked. Like they I think they even forced with the brainstorm. And I was just like, oh, this thing's this thing's a wreck. And I and I got wrecked. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, think, I definitely think analyzing what they are level-wise is probably. Um, I think you want to you want to figure out where they're at before you try to decide their play pattern. Yeah, every matchup is played on a spectrum. A master is going to play differently than a generic, uh, not generic, but like the average pilot. And uh, you should understand how the average pilot is going to approach a matchup as opposed to someone who may have a bit more experience. Yeah, I think there was an article. Wasn't there an article by Flores about this? Uh, years ago. It, it, I, I won't be able to remember it. There, Jarvis, if you're listening, or if you listen, uh, yell at me. It's like, there was a, I think there was a, a level um, article by Mike Flores, so... Sure. And it was basically like this. Uh the Tannin Grace. The the Tannin Grace. Is it like the two like second place E's and the I for some reason when I was typing it, I thought he had two E's like Megan the Stallion, which like two percent of our listener base will know who that is, but you know, whatever. The Tannin Grace. With the they, with the big shakeups in all the other formats, what would you have done with Legacy? I think we briefly touched on that with like hating static planeswalkers and leaving everything else the same for the most part. Uh, I don't think much else needs to happen in terms of legacy at the moment. Uh, yeah, I don't. I mean, I, the only thing I want is unbans. That's it. I don't want any bans right now. I want what would you unban? Some of the cards that are on that are held in prison for past sins because the card pool wasn't deep, like. Um, I really, I'm gonna say Earthcraft forever. I don't understand why Earthcraft is still banned. You know, uh, there there are just different cards that are in the history of Magic. Start letting them out once in a while. Let them play. If they're a problem, ban them. But if they're not, let them come out. You know, so I can right. stop hearing people complain about certain strategies. Give them some cards. I can dig it. Uh, I I don't really have anything at the current moment. So. I'm fine with Legacy in its current state. I'm curious to see where it plays out. If Ren and Six proves to be too much of a homogenizing effect and the format just ultimately devolves into blue soup or just like every fair deck being a Ren and Six deck or continues to be as such because that's kind of where we're at now. I can see getting it, getting rid of it for deck diversity purposes. Um, Teddy asked two questions. He The first one was, Besides Batterskull, what other opponents have true viable purpose in the modern format with infringement strategies, as well as explaining what matchups those other equipments shine against? And the second format or question was, this may go under Groovy Hoovy's question, 
of what deck gains uh, best positioning and traction with the new shakeup. Uh, we kind of asked the first question where we kind of give a ran rundown of the random swords and uh, what purpose they could serve and a bit in terms of matchups, like the, the swords that give pro-white are good in the control mirrors. Uh, unfortunately, there are many pro-green swords, but Sword of Feast and Famine is good against combo and maybe the company shells. The company shells are all over the place in terms of colors. So I think it's less a matter of intrinsically the sword and more the fact that you need to have a threat base that has evasion. Uh, and in terms of what deck gain the best positioning, that's new. That's, that's hard to say uh, I think right now. I think they voted through it because out of all the fair, slower decks, it can still combo off and win against Tron. Where Tron pretty much isn't going to care about most of the other Stoneforge shenanigans, you know. If sure. if, if the other decks are going to like, if Spirit slows down to play Mystic, or you know, these other decks slow down, Tron's going to be happy, right? Yeah, I think potentially Tron or just some very fast combo shell storm or what have you. Uh, at least for the first few weeks, while people are trying to play around with Stoneforge until. That horrible ordeal calms down and normalizes. Beautiful. Also, burn, burn will be great. It's yeah, not a red. It's you know, it's it's the same thing we see every time fair cards get unbanned in modern. Just a bunch of people try and play fair stuff, and then some smart people just play cards that kill their opponent by turn three point five consistently. There you go. Uh, Truckus Luckus Marcus asks, why is nobody playing? Spiral Tide. Uh, because, Marcus, the deck is really hard. The deck is really, really hard. <laughs> yeah, Marcus is a master of the deck, and uh, like nobody else plays it. That's pretty much just it. It's, Every time just... I play this deck, I play against Narset or Leovold. I tuck my cards back away. I go home and scream at my kids and go to bed. Like, <laughs> it's just—it's basically what happens. Like, I, I play against somebody with like four red blasts, or I play against some random other hates that I'm just like, really? You know? I think one time there was a, a wet ball in play, and I was just like, well, that's cute. My high tide deck loses to dampening spear. That's flavorful. <laughs> so I mean, seems moist to me. But yeah. yeah uh, the deck is just a constant algorithm of how to sequence cantrips, and that's basically it. Um, Ish512 asks, do you think it's correct now for four-color control to start catering more for combo decks more? Uh, feels like they can win the blue arms race just fine, so going up on discard and cheap counter magic could be the way to go. I, uh, I've been playing I, three discard... And lots of counter spells on my sideboard. So, yeah, I think a decent amount of counter magic and discard is definitely a good spot. The discard uh, interacts favorably in the control mirrors or the fair mirrors in general. And the cheap counters can help you wade through like stifle or whatever. But when I played the four color control deck, the biggest issue I had was definitely the uh, unfair shells. So, I do like making a bit of a hedge within reason. Um, Nicholas Wong asks Tess versus Ant and uh, Ant 
that's that's a whole discussion. Uh, I actually also like Ant right now. I feel like Tess uh, implodes a bit more than I'd like it to. Uh, so I, I kind of like the resiliency of Ant, and the format seems to be slowing down towards more grindy fair shells again, and that's where Ant really shines. Yeah, I think Tess was really good uh, for about six months, but like Big Engineer taking these fast, empty plans, you know, it, it makes them have to really have to play really well. And I, I and I know Bryant does, but like, I mean, it's almost I don't know. I think Tess is a lot harder now, where Ant has the if they're going to slow down, well, I'm going to slow down with you, but I'm going to just hedge and get over it with good, strong, powerful cards. So and a yeah, strong mana like... base. It's got a really strong mana base. Yeah, and uh, Bob Hong asked me, "What are you doing for your birthday?" Slash, he said, "Happy birthday!" Uh, thanks, Bob. I'm doing this because uh, I don't really celebrate my birthday ever. So, oh, we could sing. I could, I could get a lot of kids. Please don't. Okay. Please don't. All right, I will. I respect your uh, wishes. If you guys want to celebrate my birthday, you can PayPal me at paypal.com backslash or whatever it is. L Harmon one 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 two three at gmail.com. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But um, our last question here, Dylan Hovey, most. Overrated, underrated decks and legacy. What are you? Let's let's go with overrated, right? I feel like people are picking up Stoneblade decks, and I don't quite understand why. When I tried them, they felt kind of medium. Uh, I feel like their matchup against the Delver decks is only okay, and I, you can't build them to be good against the combo decks. Like when I played my league, I destroyed Death or uh, not Delver decks. Um, Sneak and show. Because I just like went turn two Etherstorm Cannons, turn three Etherstorm Cannons, turn four um, Containment Brace, and just had to hope that they never had a Kozilex uh, return ever. But um, otherwise, I, I would know, say those decks are just clunky and awkward. I would say it's overrated, but I do think I mean it's the fifty-fifty deck, right? Like it's got it's got to win the matchup lottery. So I'm not sure if I want to play that deck. Mm-hmm. Like, because it has to have the matchup lottery. Like, the way you built it. I don't know if... Yeah, maybe maybe it is. Maybe you're right. I don't know. Because I, I, yeah. would, I would say, for me, like, red-green lands. I know someone really did well with it recently. Um, congrats. Casey. Yeah, but I'm like, ugh. I don't know why you want to play red green lands when you can just play like mono discard depths. Because it's good against depths, I'm just good against the Delver shells, which are gaining a lot of buzz right now. I think lands is fine. Um, underrated. I usually have a list of these things, just like decks that I think people don't necessarily need to be playing and decks that people probably should be playing. But right now, it kind of feels like a lot of the decks in Legacy are on equal footing and. Like, there's no deck that people are really buzzing about that. I, I guess the four-color control deck. I'm not super big on the four-color control shells uh, because I feel like you can also just play Delver shells that are more proactive, and being proactive gains you a lot of points. There are a lot of matches I've won by just playing a turn one Delver, flipping it, and, you know, I never really figured out what my opponent was doing, but they just died. Like, uh, I played against, like, a blue-black Eldrazi shell, and uh, they had wastelandable lands, and I had dings in hand. So, uh, 
that's kind of where I'm at with those. I do like Thomas Mars lists. The snow shells, the iceberg shells, as we've been calling them, uh, seem a little more dubious to me. Um, also, like the Azorius, like every league, they keep posting 5-0s with Azorius Helm, the Rip Helm decks. And I'm like, why? Why? I get it. Renin 6 is a problem. But do you really want to go down that rabbit hole? I keep trying to build it. And then I look at the pile of cards, and I'm like, no, I can't do it. I've never played Rip Helm in my life, and I don't really intend to right now. Um, every time I've played against it, it's been a clunky pile. I've played against Miracles with main deck rest in peace in recent memory with both four-color Delver and no bad cards run. I've beaten it both times. Um, cutting Snapcaster from your deck definitely isn't a good thing, I don't think so not particularly happy with those builds or how you have to build them. Energy field is interesting, but a lot of people are playing Abrupt Decay. There's just, I feel like more and more people are building decks that are weak to rip, but they're also hedging for rip by I, having like relevant answers for it. I could, I could give you a story time where I played Rip Helm way back in the day before Abrupt Decay was being played in Legacy because it wasn't seen as like, you know, it wasn't played universally at the very beginning and so a bunch of us played rip helm it was great for about two months and then abrupt decay like people realized this is the answer to counterbalance that wizard planted directly for us and my uh, rip helm went away forever so <laughs> you know it was good back then but i don't know like especially half these lists they run like they they cut their swords to plowshares because they have energy field but then they already have less swords because they don't have Snapcasters, so weird. Can't be out here doing that. But, yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I'm not all about it. So I, I really consider those, I know those aren't probably what people would consider overrated, but I really like don't understand it. Like every time I see a 5-0 with it and it's a different person, I'm like, who are these people? What's wrong with them? Um, I, underrated. I underrated. Underrated's hard. I think... Uh, Dredge is underrated. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to say so. that one. Yeah, I think. Didn't we talk about Dredge being good a couple weeks ago? Just like Arkin always doing well in PTQs. It's just like yeah, but nobody. Like, I don't think anybody believed us. So I'm gonna say it again. Dredge is really good right now. Everybody's just running around with swords to plowshares. Like, I, I really like the Dredge decks right now, especially yeah, because uh, of Force and Bigger. Or whatever it is. I think it's Force of Vigor. And they get Hope. They play the one of fun of Hogak. Yeah, Hogak, the creature that is also a dread return. Uh, you know, it's, it's a thing. Yeah, I think dredge is perpetually just like a fine deck until people actually metagame for it. So, Right, but I, I don't think anybody's metagame for it, so... Yeah, and where can people find us uh, in the future, Steve? Uh, I am on twitter.com backslash RacelandIM. Uh, Lawrence, where are you? Uh, twitter.com backslash Lawrence Harmon. And then our editor, Kwame, is on Twitter, backslash tripod gun. Uh, that's gun with two ends. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, happy birthday, man. I'm going to say that. Close it out. I might I might sing. Probably not, though. Please don't. I hate the happy birthday song. All right. Good night. All right. Have a good one.
Raise it. 